This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Hello and welcome to the Rest is Football with me, Gary Lineker, Micah Richards and Alan Shearer. It's uh, Sunday morning, actually, when we're recording this, um, which really means there's only one place to start. And that has to be uh, with the terrible news yesterday that uh, Sir Bobby Charlton has left us. Chaps, if you'd just allow me um, to kick off, because um, he was um, important part in my my growing up in terms of football. Uh, Bobby was one of my heroes. Uh, in fact, I remember going to Filbert Street with my dad and my granddad when I was about seven years old. It was the first time I'd ever been to a professional game. I can still remember it now, that um, amazing sight of the stadium. When you first walk into it, you see the hollow green rectangle and the old smell of hot dogs. Uh, the whole thing was was magical. Um, we were going to see Leicester take on Manchester United, the United of Charlton Law and Best, the Holy Trinity as they um, became known. We lost 2-1 and it would have been a lot more had it not been for a certain Peter Shilton in goal. This was, of course, just two years after England won the World Cup, which I don't have any memories of. Um, my next memory of Bobby Charlton was of of him being substituted in the World Cup quarterfinal uh, against West Germany in 1970. We were 2-0 up and Sir Alf Ramsey was uh, brought him off by resting him for the, for the semi-final. Only the Germans came back and won. Who knows what would have transpired uh, if Bobby wasn't substituted. Um, he was a truly wonderful footballer. Um, probably the purest striker of a football you're ever likely to see. He'll generate extraordinary power whilst never appearing to hit it too hard. The timing with him was everything. Uh, he ended his career being the top scorer for both his club, Manchester United, and his country. Um, I got close um, to his national record, very close. Um, but it's worth mentioning that he was actually a midfield player, uh, an attacking midfield player, but nevertheless, his records were truly remarkable. 
Um, I had the good fortune to meet him on many occasions. Um, my favourite probably being announcing him at the um, Sports Personality of the Year um, for the Lifetime Achievement Award that he won. Um, there wasn't a dry eye in the house that evening when his brother Jack presented him uh, with the trophy. Uh, I, I remember him saying, um, Sir Bobby is the greatest player I've ever seen and he's my brother. Uh, so moving. Uh, what an incredible life he lived. To have won everything in the game, having survived the Munich air crash where so many lost their lives, uh, including eight of his teammates. I mean, how do you deal with that? But in his own way, he did. And he triumphed over and over again. But perhaps his biggest triumph was never letting his success affect him. Uh, he was very generous. He was humble. He was modest. He was kind. And now he's no longer with us. But he has footballing immortality. And that's something that very few achieve. It is a huge loss. And um, we know he's been pretty ill for quite some time. Um, another, another footballer from that era... Um, with um, issues around dementia. Um, but what a man, Alan. Yeah, what a man, Gary. What a career. Um, you know, you go, you go through your life and you're fortunate to meet all these absolute superstars. Um, some you're slightly disappointed in, some you're surprised in, but some you're actually amazed. And with what he won and what he achieved in the game, both for England and for um, Manchester United. If there was anyone that could have a slight of bit of arrogance about him, you would accepted it from him, but there was none of it. He was such a humble and nice guy whenever you met him, whenever you spoke to him. Um, I mean, 758 games for one of the biggest clubs in the world. Uh, it, I mean, that that speaks volumes in itself, the, the, the longevity and everything about his career was just magnificent. And um, yeah, he'll be sorely missed. What sort of player would you compare him to in today's football, Gary? Because you would have probably seen him the most. Um, we've talked about some greats across recent history with Gerrard and Lampard and Scholes and even Rooney going into that attacking midfield role later on in his career. Who is he most like or who was most like him, should I say? Oh, it's a, it's a difficult question in many, in many ways. He was very much a, a forward-thinking midfield player, but he could also glide past players. Um, um, in, in some ways, actually, um, I, I you know, don't want to blow smoke up your backside, Alan, but he, in, he scored a lot of goals like, you did a lot of long range efforts from outside the box, you know, but, uh, and, and you, you too were one of the sweetest strikers of a football that I, I've seen. He seemed to do it effortlessly. Um, I'm trying to come think of a player that, um, he was sort of different in that, in that way. So I'm not sure there has been Micah. Yeah. Um, no. I mean, his technique was just, I mean, it was unbelievable, wasn't it? That this, the, I know I said it yesterday, Gary, when we were on the radio of, of being him being a great goal scorer, but also scoring mm. so many great goals, uh, as in long-range efforts. I mean, it, it, if if you're a youngster now and thinking about um, hitting footballs and coming across them and or hitting them with the front of your foot, look at his technique, how he how he did it, how he got over the ball. There were so many where it was sort of head down, 
mm. and there was um, there was nothing ever a fluke about any of his his hits because you can tell that not only he was a natural but he also worked at his uh, at his shooting technique because it was incredible. And don't forget too how heavy the ball was yeah. back then, particularly, particularly when it was the, wet. Yeah, when wet in the sixties, you know they played with a very heavy ball. Um, and <laughs> I remember them from my childhood. Sometimes you, you, I mean, getting the ball off up in in the air, yeah. particularly on muddy, heavy pitches as well. Yeah. But I, I'm sure a lot of um, of our young listeners were were watching the obituaries, etc., uh, that were being put out all over the place yesterday and and again today. I'm sure that will happen. Um, and just look at the sweet nature of of the way he hit the ball. And you try and think of people like that. Obviously, there are the people that strike it beautifully now, but the the ball now is a lot easier to to hit. Um, but he made that old heavy ball just go just as quick as yeah. that light um, ball in much better conditions today. Um, Gerard could strike it like that. Was a, there was a certain something about that sl- slightly a different kind of um, footballer, but um, it's an interesting question you've posed there, um, Micah. Um, I'm wondering if, and I've always thought this, that um, I think he's been our English football, let me say, is um, greatest ever. I think it's very difficult for people like um, you in particular, Micah, of your generation, that because you can't really judge... Um, players against players in the modern day if you haven't seen much of them from from yesteryear um and and also something that I think I've benefited from in, in my career that because we played in an era where not that many games were seen on television what you do see is generally just the good clips um so people don't re- realize um how many bad games i played um but i don't i don't think that was the case um with, with sir bobby i'm i can't imagine him playing too too many um bad games but you know he also turned up of course in in the in the big tournaments the world cup he, he scored two goals obviously in the european cup final that was the first time an english club um, had won that particular trophy, um, so so he, he did a bit of everything, and and he played, of course, with um, George Best, who was you know a, an unbelievably good player. wasn't English, of course, came from Northern Ireland, and and Dennis Laura Scott, who played up front, and that that holy trilogy. But um, yeah, I think possibly he had a bit of Gerard and a bit of skulls and probably a bit of Lampard as well if you want to bring into those those three particular players that we always have so many so many debates about we talk about you know winning things I mean European Cup league titles FA Cup and the biggest one of them all the biggest one the World Cup I mean goodness me Mm. to um, to achieve that is just Absolutely staggering. Um, just unbelievable. Yeah. Don't you just think it's great, though, when the football community comes together, mm. when a, a legend of the game has sadly passed away and the tributes all last night, even after we was working and all the people, not just connected with Man United, but connected with football. Mm. And we may have not, me, I'm talking personally for me, I might not have seen the games, but we could certainly resonate with what he'd done for football just because of all the great players who I've seen and the way they talked about Mm. him. So it was just a great moment and a great send-off for an absolute icon of the game. I've always always thought, wouldn't it be nice if death give you a little bit of notice 
so that someone like Bobby Charlton could could see and hear from the affection, the love, the outpouring of grief that has gone into his direction. I've I've always thought that because it it's it's kind of it's quite poignant and it's it's so lovely all the kind comments that people make um i'm sure he knew that i'm, I'm sure he, he would have got in it Gary. all in yeah. his life and obviously yeah. wasn't he wouldn't have been well enough in in the last um, few years probably to to take it all in but um i hope he realizes um how much he was admired and um adored by not just manchester united football fans but and english football fans but people around the world it was one i remember kind of growing up or even when i played you could you know, you'd travel abroad and you could go to somewhere that where no one even spoke a word of English um, and they'd know two words or two names, should I say, Bobby Charlton. It was always Bobby Charlton, um, which speaks volumes, I think, of the man. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. When you look at the size of the football club and the greats that have actually played for that football club, for him to be at the very top of that of that list... Um, and we, and we go on also about his footballing ability, but I think what what has certainly come out over the last twenty four hours is when the sad news was announced was just what a lovely guy he was, what a, mm. what a humble guy he was, um, and I think that's is as important as his footballing career. Mm. Who who do you think you could put in the argument in terms of the greatest English player alongside? Sir Bobby, because I think he, I think he certainly comes out and top for me. Um, from your life, Micah, obviously you didn't see him enough, but who else would you put up there? Rooney, for, obviously. For England, I would Kane, possibly, possibly say Rooney. I know we've talked many times about uh, the, the lack of quality maybe in the uh, qualifiers, so Kane's going to score more goals. But Rooney, when I see Rooney first put on that shirt, I remember being 18 going into the England squad and his touch, his technique, his weight of pass, his aggression, his teamwork. He had absolutely everything. And you remember the tournament where he... the, the Burst onto the scene 2004 in Portugal. Yes, but the Mesotarsal. I remember mm. thinking... Oh, Rooney's done his metatarsal. I'm thinking, what's a metatarsal? I remember like literally going on Google and thinking, oh, it's in his, it's in his foot. It's a bone within your, your foot or whatever. And that's the impact he had on me thinking this guy could be Messi, Ronaldo level. And it didn't quite work for him to that level. He was just a level below. But for England, when I had Rooney... On my team, I just believed anything could happen. So I would say Wayne Rooney. Yeah, well, of course, Wayne Rooney um, broke both of um, Sir Bobby Charlton's record with Manchester United, goal-scoring records, I should say, uh, and and with England. I think that tells you how good Rooney was. Um, I mean, even wherever he played Rooney, he could play anywhere and he would never let you down. Um, but th that Rooney in his um, in his prime was, was something very, very special. Um, he was. He could do almost anything. I mean, he could find that long-range pass. He he could score spectacular goals, tap-ins, create. So yeah, he was a great player. I think. I think as a natural, maybe. I'm, I don't think I put him in the same class as Sir Bobby, but Gaza was unbelievable in his uh, in his um, in his prime as well. I mean, I know he he had issues also, but uh, in his prime when he was coming up and the way he dribbled with the ball, Gaza was something very special.
Yeah, Gaz, Gaz is actually um, a good shout. He, he's certainly a different personality to yeah, no, to, 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 to Sir Bobby Charlton and, well, anybody, actually. Yeah. Um, but in, in terms of actual ability, um, Gazza would have been right up there. Yeah. I mean, if he'd have had, you know, perhaps the mind of someone like Bobby Charlton or, yeah. or, or even Wayne Rooney, although there's, you know, there's a degree of, there's a lot of fun in Wayne Rooney, but... Um, who knows what Gaza might have achieved? And of course, that dreadful injury sustained, which was pretty much self-inflicted in the FA Cup final in 1991. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I often say this about Paul Gascoigne: playing with him was was both wonderful and quite frustrating <laughs> because he he was yeah. like the kid on the playground, wasn't he, with the ball when he yeah. got it, and he just he just want to beat everybody. Um, <laughs> sometimes he'd beat three men, and you, you know you'd make run after run after run. He wouldn't give you the only time he'd give you the ball was if he knew you had no alternative but to give it him straight back <laughs> uh, right. in a one-two. Um, yeah. But but what a footballer! Um, yeah. he, what he made him great. so good, Gary? Well, you know, or on and you, Al. You know, we talk about players. You look at them and you think, okay, they are um, the football brain, or the the touch, or the technique, or the way they find it. What made Gaza so brilliant? Just pure natural talent, raw ability. Um, it's 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 why. How can you explain that question ever? Mm. I think it's a mixture of of. You know everything, isn't it? The, but the one thing I would say is that you cannot be a top footballer without being given some kind of talent that you're born with, and it's then what you do with it and how you make that work. Um, and I, you know, if if there was a formula, if I could explain why Gaza was was that good, you could you could make other people. Um, be the same. You know, people talk about the ten thousand hours, don't you, of, of practice, of training, of drilling yourself into into whatever it is, and you can be an expert at that particular thing. But in terms of sport, I just honest, I just don't buy that. You you know, you, you there's no way you could turn someone into a a Bobby Charlton by just practice, practice, practice. Now, if you've got the talent that someone like Bobby Charlton was born with, then you also need to have the right attitude and the work ethic and that sort of thing on top of that but in terms of no, pure talent no, you've got to have that that gift it's just something you're born with you're not telling me anyone if you practiced a lot you could be like messy I mean it's, it's a I always thought it was a pretty absurd um, argument uh, I would say that if you've got that talent you still need to put in 10,000 hours to get the best out of yourself but um, but beyond that I mean other people if you know if you even you know, going back, I suppose people would talk about Sir Stanley Matthews. Um, um, my granddad um, always used to tell me the greatest footballer that he ever watched was um, Tom Finney, who also passed away some time ago. Um, obviously, I'm going into a, an era of <laughs> with names that you've pr probably not really heard much of. And um, actually, I can rec recommend a, a, one of our Goal Hanger podcasts for this. If, you, if you're if um, you of a certain age and like football um, from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, there's a little podcast called Football Ruined My Life. <laughs> um, um, look it up. Um, it, it's brilliant. And it talks about the good old days of, of football before the Premier League. And it did actually exist um, <laughs> as a sport. Um, well, we'll miss Bobby Charlton. Uh, there's no question about about that. Right, let's take a little break and uh, after it um, we'll discuss the Premier League weekend.
This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. Isn't it bullshit to have to question where your food comes from? At Vital Farms, you can trace your pasture-raised eggs all the way back to the source, the pasture. On the side of each pasture-raised carton of eggs, you'll find the name of the farm where your eggs were laid. And when you look the farm up on their website, you'll get a peek at all the sunshine, fresh air, and open space the hens enjoy. Learn more and find out where to buy them at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit-free. Welcome back to The Rest is Football with me, Gary Lineker, Alan Shearer and Micah Richards. Um, we've had another interesting weekend of, of Premier League football and we were just um, talking in the break there um, with Alan because Alan does this thing and you've probably seen it a lot of you that he picks a Premier League team of the week. He does it for the Premier League. He's done it for... A, how long now, Alan? Oh, a few years now, Gary, yeah. And every <laughs> single week he gets pelters from people saying, why have you not picked him? Why did you pick him? Why did you not pick pick him? And he, he stresses you out a little bit, Al. I mean, oh, I just want to know how you got yourself in a position know, to do yeah. that. It's a thankless <laughs> task. As soon, you know, when, I, when I've got to put it out on a, um, on a Monday or a Tuesday when the last game's finished, I just put it up there and I press send and I go, oh, send. And I, and I don't look at what's said for the next two or three hours. I don't look at my phone or social media because you get absolutely yeah. bloody hammered off every fan. Why is he not in? Why are you not picking him? It's like fucking relentless. People hammer me for not putting some of their players in. And Michael, you'll tell us as well that every week he goes, I've got, I've got five. Which left? Is there a left back that played well? Is there a, who, who, who would you have in? Who would you every week? Oh, week oh dear. And in the end, all you basically do, Alan, is put about half a dozen Newcastle players in. When they play as well as yesterday, Gary, there's going to be a few in. Don't worry. How many Newcastle players you got in, Alan? Well, I've got three in at the minute, but um, depending on depending on performances today, <laughs> Sunday, and tomorrow. Monday there might be a few more in it we'll have to wait and see the minute I've got Longstaff in I've got Trippier in and I've got Jacob Murphy in Yeah, and not even you two can argue with any of those because they were brilliant Actually, you flying yesterday, weren't they? Yeah, it was a um, it was a really really impressive performance from everyone, every single player. Who have was, you got in um, goal? I haven't got a goalkeeper yet. Yeah, well, no, I don't I'm, think it'll probably be Sanchez or no. You. I mean, <laughs> no, Newcastle was superb. They b- absolutely battered Crystal Palace. I didn't think because you know you look at previous games, and I think Newcastle had three nil nils with Crystal Palace last season. So uh, I was expecting something similar. I thought oh, we we're going to be a tight, scrappy mm. game. Be happy with a one nil here, um, and then 
look forward to Wednesday in the Champions League. But from start to finish, Newcastle was sensational, particularly down their right-hand side with Trippier, Murphy and Longstaff. They absolutely battered Crystal Palace and their left-back, Tarek Mitchell, he, he, didn't, um, he didn't know what day it was. Can we just talk about Trippier for a, for a while? Because he come through the academy with me and I know I've mentioned it a couple of times on Match of the Day before, but we've not actually spoken about him, I think, on, on this before. So he come through the academy and he was two years younger than me. There was me, Zabaleta and Trippier fighting it out. And I always remember... That you were always it- third. <laughs> <laughs> so... I just remember in training, we was doing this sessions. You know how we do, it's attack versus uh, defense. You might have four four defenders versus three attackers or vice versa. And he was up against Adebayor. So you know Adebayor always used to go to that left side and then hold it up and do some skills or whatnot. And every time Adebayor got the ball, he absolutely destroyed Trippier. In a one-on-one situation. Oh, wow. And the manager at the time, I think it was Mancini. I think, if, if I got my, my memory correct. But what everyone didn't know, the part of his game, which was the best, was going forward. So there was exploiting his weaknesses and not seeing his strengths. And when he was allowed to go to Burnley, I remember all the lads saying, this is the biggest mistake ever. Send him out on loan for a couple of seasons. And when he fills out a little bit, he's only small now. You can imagine back then what he would have been even smaller. But the technique that he had, the timing of his runs, the passing, the commitment he showed, I was like, he's going to be a top player. So he goes to Burnley, gets like record assists in the championship. Then he goes to Spurs, does amazing at Spurs. Um, a little bit difficult with Kyle Walker being there at a similar time. And he goes to Atletico Madrid and wins a league over there, comes back and does what he does for England. I just think... He's the most underrated fullback because of the quality that we have with Walker and Trent and Reese James. But if you need someone who's going to be consistent, this is the best football I think I've I've ever seen him play. And he's two years younger than me. He'd be, he'd be 33 years of age. It's just incredible. I haven't followed his career closely, but obviously I've always been aware of him. But I think the football he's playing now for Newcastle is the best football he's played in his uh, in his career, and mm-hmm. he's he was definitely the game changer for Newcastle. He was um, such an important signing, and of course Eddie knew him. Um, and Eddie, had, when Eddie had gone over to Atletico Madrid to watch them train, he sort of kept in touch with him. Um, but he was he's no doubt been the game changer for Newcastle. When he came in, he'd won La Liga, and there was a proper chance that Newcastle were going to be relegated. So it was a bit of a gamble on his part, and there was no uh, no clauses or relegation clauses in his contract. So it was a bit of a gamble because he couldn't have been relegated. So he came in, and immediately I think his attitude changed other players' attitudes and um, for the better. Uh, and I think his professionalism and everything else. And he is absolutely bossing it at the minute in Newcastle. The fans love him. Defensively, nasty, hard to get past. Uh, being a great leader and going forward some of the balls he's whipping into the box and some of his play down the right is just superb I've always seen that attacking side of him since you know obviously from Burnley particularly at Spurs but I think I wonder how much it benefited him particularly on the defensive 
aspects of the game, working with Atletico Madrid and a coach with that defensive mind that he has of of, um, Simeone. Yeah, without without doubt, I think that's absolutely right, Gary. Um, Yeah, him learning, I don't know, the dark arts, learning learning other bits of of things defensively um, and also going to another country and experiencing all that. He's, He's probably... There's no doubt about it. That would have that would have helped him. Um, and in thirties now, he's probably playing as good as football he's ever played. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. We are suddenly getting a few players going to play abroad. You know, obviously Jude Bellingham is he went very early uh, in his career. Now we've got Harry Kane going at the um, latter stages of of his career. It's something that I I did myself. Um, and I think if you can if you can handle it and if you can settle in. It's a great education in terms of your overall experience of of playing football and, you know, because different countries have kind of a different style of play. I mean, we see the Premier League, it's blood and thunder, it's up and at them, it's end to end, it's very exciting to watch. But then you go to somewhere like Spain, La Liga, particularly nowadays, it wasn't actually the case when I I played um, necessarily. But um, the the technical aspect of the game is, is kind of, that, that slow rhythm of football there that you know ticky tacky call it what you like um, is I think it, it it really helps you to experience different um, both on and off the pitch I suppose as well culture off the pitch and for your own confidence your own maturity makes a difference lifestyle mm. I mean well you did it as well Michael when, when I went to, to Fiorentina and I was thinking have I made the right decision I'm not sure about the league and I always say to my friends in England were just surviving. And I don't mean that in terms of, I'm, I'm talking about li- lifestyle when I say that. I don't want it to be taken the wrong way in terms of we go to football and I'm talking about football related stuff here. You go to, fo- you go to football, you train, all you watch is football and you repeat again. When I went to Florence, would would train about 11 o'clock. The weather was fantastic. We'd train for an hour max. It's a slower tempo because we're in the heat. We'd all go for a glass of wine in the afternoon as a team. You can bring your partners or whatever. Then if you want to, they arrange a dinner for you at seven, eight o'clock at nighttime as well. Not only that, the night before the games, so say we went to a home game, we went to a hotel, we used to say local in town. I was allowed a glass of wine. And I'm just thinking to me, this lifestyle is completely different to what we're used to. And it opened up my eyes now. And everyone always asks me, why are you always so happy? It's because now I know how to, to enjoy life to the max. It's a simple thing. I think you've thing. always done that, Michael. <laughs> Michael, how many times did you abuse it and have a bottle of wine instead of a glass? I'm not gonna lie. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie to you. We don't. We tell. We don't tell lies on this. If I was on the bench, if I knew I was on the bench, I was having a bottle of wine to myself. <laughs> It's funny, we had the same thing. I remember moving to Barcelona um, in in the mid-80s and I moved there with Mark Hughes. Um, he went at the same time um, from from Manchester United. And we, start, we started playing games, not only the night before, but they always, it, which wasn't the thing in England back then, that you'd, even for home games that you'd stay in a hotel the night before. Um, and they used to call it concentración. 
So, you know, it was exactly like Micah said. There'd, there'd, there'd be a squad of 16. There'd be four tables of four. And on each table, there'd be a bottle of wine. And this is not just the night before the game. This is also with the lunch before the game. For pretty much as well. Wow. Yes, honestly, I know it's difficult. I remember we went down at Mark Hughes, the first game or so, and we sat at the table and we were going, there's wine on the table, it's a bit weird. And then they get on the t- they did it same routine every match. There was a salad brought onto the table. One of the players on the table would mix that salad with um, um, olive oil and um, va- vinegar and a bit of salt. They'd all make it be a different person's job each thing. And then you you get your pre match meal and they pour a glass of wine each. And then you'd finish off the bottle between the four of you. And 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 Sparky and myself, um, Sparky was uh, Mark Hughes' nickname. Used to be I think apprentice electrician when he was about 60 and um and, and we would just thought imagine this at home everyone would be <laughs> steaming half of our Newcastle players have turned out pissed oh but what of course the the the, the reasoning for it, this is I, I mean I was surprised that they were still doing it at Fiorentina when you were there Michael I don't know whether it's still a thing now I can't, I can't imagine it is um but yeah you used to have a I don't know what what is there about six glasses of wine in a bottle on this so you'd have four a glass and a half each and then you'd go up you'd have your two or three hours siesta and then because you didn't play at three o'clock there you, the earliest in those days that you would play would be five o'clock um, on a Sunday or later if it was on a Saturday night. So yeah, we we just couldn't believe it. <laughs> it was such a different yeah. things. Great Can you imagine? Times. I would imagine half of our Newcastle team having a glass of wine with a pretty much meal. There's no way they're staying at one glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> they'd, honestly, they'd half the time they've been pissed plate going out. <laughs> uh, have you ever played with someone that you think has been pissed? Gaza half the time wasn't he? Well, Gaza, I did. Yes, there were one yeah. or two occasions. I think I think he plays up to it a bit, you know, kind of plays to that tag a little bit. But I, I, I didn't see it very often. But there were a couple of occasions where I think he was. There was a famous one when he played for it was Lazio he played for, wasn't it in in Rome where. He said, but didn't he have a cup of vodka on the side or something crazy? Um, oh there, dear. Was, there was one time, there was one time, you know, so you get your, there's 20 man that travel squad, isn't there? Yeah. And then there's sort of two left out in a, in a modern day. That's how they do it. And 18 would be in the squad, two left out. So I remember I was in the squad, just got back in the squad with, with Pellegrini. Um, and you pretty much know if you're going to be left out, you're sort of traveling if anyone gets mm. injured. So I remember traveling somewhere. Can't remember where we was traveling to. And I know I'm not playing, just come back from injury. I'm just getting back into it. So we get to the hotel. Um, and you remember in the hotel, normally they take out all your alcohol. <laughs> yeah. out of the fridge yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes absolutely do you yeah. remember that they take yeah. it out yeah. because they know what we're going to get up to because I was probably a late shout into the squad I've got all the alcohol in my fridge <laughs> so I'm thinking okay I've just come back from injury I'm not going to be playing I'll, I'll have one one, <laughs> one turns to two two turns to three before you know it I'm, I'm, I'm 10 drinks down. <laughs> I get a call in the morning, someone's injured. <laughs> oh, I've never oh. been so nervous oh, within my life. So I can't, 
can't remember. Was it Sabalet? Someone, someone's pulled out. I can't remember who it was. He's Pablo's done you over again. <laughs> He's done me over. <laughs> but I'm like, to the, so how it is, this is, and people don't really know this. Like you have a relationship with the doctor and physios mm. and then a different relationship with the manager. So the doctor and physio always try to protect you if they can. And then the, the manager has a com- uh, like a conversation with you playing or you're not playing. So I was just like to the manager, oh, I'm I'm not ready, boss. So you know, I have my, my hamstring's not right, or this, that, and the other. But really, I've told the doc and the physio, I've been steaming last night. <laughs> You're gonna have to make up an excuse. I can't be in the squad because I'd be absolute. Oh, I, I just can't do it. And luckily, we took two subs. So the other sub <laughs> went went onto the bench and ended up going on, and I didn't have to appear. But that's a yeah, another true story. <laughs> How the earth did we get onto this, by the way? We're, we're reviewing the Premier League weekend. That's <laughs> oh, right. This is a podcast. We go where we want. We do what we want. Uh, we do. Uh, we do. Anyway, uh, Newcastle had a great result. Yeah, <laughs> getting back to Newcastle. Reel it in. Reel it in. Let's talk about a couple of the, the, the derbies that were played um, yesterday. There was um, Chelsea, Arsenal, and um, the Merseyside derby between Liverpool and Everton. Of course, that was the early kickoff, and um, Mo Salah. He's he's firing. Um, I was going to say he's firing a game, but I mean, every player has little dips, but he doesn't have many, does he? He's he's, he's just a consistent performer. He didn't play that well, did he? I mean, it seems stupid, yeah. but his touch was off. wasn't working for him running with the ball, but that doesn't matter, does it? You get two goals. Thank you very much. Where you go? Let me ask you a question, Alan. Um, I think I know the answer. Would you prefer to play really shit? and score or the opposite play brilliantly and not score give me playing shit every week and let me score goals I I wouldn't care how I played I'd love to have played well every game but obviously you don't but I'll take shit every day over the week as long as I score Mm. (laughs) same with you isn't it Oh God, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'd say the same thing that if you if it's lovely to play well and and all that, and, but yeah. this you know this nonsense about assists as satisfying as scoring, no, exactly. not for a striker because you live on your ratio, Absolutely. you live on your goals, and yeah. and 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 that's it. Is Mo Salah the the, the best player at the moment in the Premier League? Oh, There's a question. Very good question. Harland, I don't know. I, I think. I think he's a, he's the most consistent over the last in terms of scoring goals. Well, it's years he, and years now, isn't that's it? That's what I mean. Yeah. So, like, even if he doesn't play well, he gets a lot of assists as well. You know, he does. He's well, always uh, in that area, yeah. isn't he? Mm. I, you know, I'm a big fan. I obviously, I won't say I'm biased, but because I played with him, I and seen yeah. his development. I always say Mo Salah. You know, but here's a question for you: Who would you rather have, Mo Salah or Aiden Hazard? Well, Mo Salah now, because um, well, he's retired. Yeah. No, I mean, phew, that's, I mean, no, that, yeah. There's, I don't think there's much in it. They're different kind of players as well. I think Hazard's more, more like a ten, isn't he? Mm. I think. I mean, that's his best position. He was brilliant on the half turn, and when we talked to Thierry Henry um, on the podcast recently, he was. He, he was. We were talking about Messi. He wasn't saying he was as good as Messi. Obviously not. But he was talking about the fact that he was a player that was always prepared to get the ball and try and beat someone. Um, and I, I suppose Mo Salah does that. I think Hazard's a better at doing that, at dribbling as a ten. But Salah plays kind of high on the right. And, and obviously Hazard has played in that position as well at times. But I think they're they're different sort of players. Mo Salah will always score more goals than than than. 
Hazard. So it's it's a bit of an argument, isn't it, about player over goal scorer? I wonder. I wonder if Mo Salah looks, looks at Micah Richards now and thinks, when I played with him, what a pisshead he was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Micah most of the time is a model professional. Uh, of course yeah. I was. Of course a model was. professional. Yeah. So what do you think the answer to that question is then? I think Hazard's a better dribbler, like yeah. you said. I think Hazard is a better all-round player, but mm. I think Salah is just more devastated. He's a goal like, scorer. Salah's he's a goal, a goal scorer. scorer. Yeah, he he's is, more yeah. devastated. Uh, but we have to give a little bit of credit to Everton before yeah. we move on because mm. I thought uh, Branthway and Tarkovsky at the back were sensational. I know people look at the result and say Liverpool 2-0, but it wasn't really the story of the game. Well, the story of the game was the tale of lots of yellow cards and Correct. one player getting sent off and another not for yep. very same offences. Yeah, Canate was very, very fortunate. And any other day, I think another referee gives him another yellow card and he's off. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, Ashley, Ashley Young was correctly given two yellow cards. It was a stupid challenge when you're on the, on, on the yellow. But if the referee's doing that, then he has to give Canate a second yellow card. He clearly wipes him out. Um, he was under huge pressure, the referee, at Anfield. Derby game, big decision, and he got it wrong for me. Agreed. Um, but I like the way Everton are shaping up as well. Like Alan's mentioned the the cards, the referee got it wrong on this occasion, but McNeil's back into some sort of form. I like what Garner's doing in midfield with Onana and DeCorey just in front of them. Uh, Calvert-Lewin's back fit as well. So they're, they're, they're building something. Harrison as well on that right-hand side. And if they defend like that, we was always worried about Everton, weren't we? But I think yeah. now we're starting to see the signs of what they could do this season. A bit season. of encouragement for, for Everton fans who have, have suffered a bit the last uh, few seasons. Not to get carried away, obviously, but um, so, yeah. s certainly better. Um, Liverpool title contenders, aren't they? I mean, they had a tough season last year. Well, they, they sort of ended the season um, with, with promise. And they seem to have made um, a couple of good signings. They've had a, a bit of a rebuild in midfield. And they're looking, you know, they're looking like they might might compete this year. Yeah, I, th I think, I mean, they're always going to score goals. With the talent they've got uh, up top, then goals, and I don't think it'll ever be a problem to them. My slight concern would be defensively at the minute. Not, I mean, I know they've, they've had a, they've got an injury to Robertson now as well, mm. which they're going to have to deal with. And Simicas came in yesterday, uh, got taken off. I still think they're a bit iffy defensively, but yeah, I think they've without doubt they've improved, um, and I think they'll give it a right good go this year for the title. Manchester City again yesterday, Micah. They weren't they weren't at their free flowing best, but they managed to get it won, of course. Um, I think we might have a title race this year because I was slightly worried that Manchester City will dominate and they still might, of course, because obviously it's um, he's a little bit like Sir Alex Ferguson with Manchester United, isn't he? He never worried too much as long as you're pretty in touch before yeah. Christmas, but it's all about um, the second half of the season. But, you know, City are not flying at the moment. You've got, you know, Arsenal weren't great yesterday, but um, generally doing well. You've got Liverpool and um, even Tottenham surprising people. Um, we might have a kind of multi-club title race, which would be great, wouldn't it? 
City are still trying to bedding their new players. Mm. Um, we mentioned Doku on Match of the Day last night and he was outstanding. Um, but they're not killing teams off. They The first half, they had so many opportunities down that left-hand side. And before, that would be four, five, six. Brighton get a goal back. And before you know it, they're scrambling. And I just, they're not as devastating as as last season. I still no. believe they will win it because the quality, they've got to come back in the side with the likes of De Bruyne, Rodri now back from suspension. John Stones was outstanding mm. again. Oh, he's amazing. Oh, he's he? just so Drifts good, midfield, yeah. So I still believe they will win it, but I think it will be a little bit tighter again. I think you've also got to remember, this is the period of international breaks. So you get one every month and that is a distraction. Um, I well, look think at Arsenal no yesterday that. as well, Gary. Well, Arsenal were that. really off it. I mean, they did well to f- kind of grind out of a, a point. They got a bit lucky, to be perfectly honest, didn't they, with the mistake from yeah. um, from the goalkeeper. Well, they were they were terrible. I mean, they, their first shot on target was in the seventy seventh minute when they scored, and that was um, Declan Rice's goal with a uh, with a mistake. Um, but they were they were awful. Um, couldn't find any pass. Nothing in front of goal. Um, so in the end when you're 2-0 down with what I don't know 12 or 13 minutes to go and you, you, you'd snap the hands off for a point so in the end it was a really good result for them Are Chelsea back or getting back or in the right direction at least uh, under Pochettino I know they gave away a couple of goals yesterday but they actually until that first goal that Rice scored from the mistake they actually played really well didn't they? Marvellous. I, I, I think Chelsea have been back from the start of the season. I really believe that in terms of what he wants to do, um, sort of putting his ethos across the way he wants certain players to play. Don't forget they've, they've lost, you know, key members like Reese James. He's, he's their best player. He's, he's been injured. Lavia, Caicedo, they've had players out. Everyone's getting back to fitness now. Gusto, again, was, was really good until the end of the game. They went with two number 10s with Gallagher and Palmer. And he's just getting used to his squad. I think, again, with Chelsea, we're talking about who's going to finish off the, the chances Palmer yeah, that's the question that, isn't it that, that is just how a big question that, how can you spend that amount of money <laughs> and then go in with Gallagher and Palmer with for, uh, two forwards or two tens I know Jackson was on the bench mm-hmm. they're, they're definitely improving and I think he'll do a, 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 a job a really what good job what would be Pochettino. a good job for him this season this season I would think top six they're improving they're getting better and I think if he's given the time and the patience is given, then he'll do a good job, Pochettino. This podcast we're recording on Sunday morning um, and it'll be put out on Monday morning um, and Tottenham fans will be looking forward to the game uh, against Fulham. And if they win that game, Spurs go two points clear. Big gap at the top. Can we talk about, because remember when I was chastised and I said at the beginning of our, when we started our podcast, Spurs actually might be a better team without Kane. And I'm not saying they are. I'm just saying the way they can set up. Well, Micah, are you saying they're a better team without Kane or are you not? <laughs> Come on, Micah. Just a yes or a no. I mean, 
We're just looking for a yes or a no. Are they a better team without Kane? Time will tell. We're just looking for a yes or a no, Michael. Are they a better team without Kane? Time will tell, Alan. We're just looking for an answer, Mike. He's like a political interviewer. Here. Like, hell. You say it's simple, yes or a no. Get me on the rest of his politics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, we will finish um, with, I think, possibly the, certainly the Premier League moment of the weekend might be... Gary O'Neill winning for Wolves as manager of Wolves at Bournemouth who kicked him out of course at the end of last season after he did such a good job uh, keeping them up in the Premier League last season and um, his interview after the game said no no it's not (laughs) this was never about me nothing about me Um, but it was wasn't it I mean, of course be, it was. I mean, it's on, not, ultimately, it's about three points for your team, but we know that in inwardly, it'd have been going, "Yeah, fuck you." Absolutely, <laughs> that's exactly what you would have been seeing. All the leading up to the game this week, he would have been hoping and praying mm. to come away from Bournemouth with three points, three massive points. He would have, he would have, he would have loved to have stood there with his finger like that or his fingers like that. Up I can to the and I'll tell you box. that Alan first put one middle finger up and then put the old traditional V sign up to the director's <laughs> box. He will never admit it, but secretly inside, he would absolutely be thinking, yeah. "Fuck you." You. <laughs> That's exactly what he'd been thinking because they're sat in 12th position on 11 points, looking down at Bournemouth, the, the, the team that sacked him. Uh, and yeah, we all thought it was a stupid, harsh decision. Um, and it, if if Bournemouth don't get results soon, I think Bournemouth play Burnley next weekend at home. Mm, they do. If they don't get a result, then then mm, I don't want to say because I don't. I hate yeah. saying that, but you'd fear, you'd fear, wouldn't you, if if they don't get a result against Burnley? Are they going to go down? Yes or no, Alan? In Bournemouth. <laughs> In Bournemouth. He yeah. said, "I would fear for them." Are they gonna, if Al's they not lose, a man. Al's not a man to sit on the fence like you, Micah. <laughs> yes, they will go down, Micah. See, oh, okay. bit like the team that, a bit like the team also that you predicted to finish in the top half, Burnley. What the fuck? <laughs> What's going on with them? <laughs> Before we go on to Burnley, um, you know his interview, Gary O'Neill, when he basically said it's not about me. You've yeah. been in that position as a manager. So tell the listeners and the viewers, if, if, if you're watching, what's going through your mind within that interview are you just Micah Micah you've got to remember that when Alan was a manager he wasn't in the position where he won a game <laughs> away I did you win one. one game you did win one no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Oh my God! That's exactly what he'll be thinking, Micah Gary O'Neill. He'll be he be he would have loved to have said absolutely, yeah. What a huge result that was for me and for Wolves. If I was manager, I would have just said yes. (laughs) Thank God for that. That's what you do when you sack me. Let's see where we are at the end of the season. I'm I'm too honest to be a manager. Yeah, Yeah. and they're looking decent, aren't they, Wolves? They're playing some good football. There was there was one in, there was a move in the second half yeah. with, with unbelievable football that I think Neto just flicked it over the bar. If that had gone in, that would have been a, a, a real contender uh, for goal of the season. So that's our, our moment of the week. Um, that's it uh, for this episode. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Have a good week. <laughs>